Hey everybody, welcome back to the Wealth Accelerator Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Lowry. I'm a financial advisor with Sierra Ridge Wealth Management, located here in Sacramento, California. Hope everyone's having a fantastic day today. So this past weekend, I was up in Corning, California at a World Series of Team Roping event. Uh, it's actually a pretty dang cool facility up there. They've got a couple perfect roping arenas. There's one inside that's just beautiful, a super nice outdoor one a bunch of inside stalls for horses, a casino, a golf course, all within walking distance. So you can imagine pretty pretty easy to be spending a lot of money at this place. But actually rope pretty good. I uh, got to rope and golf on Saturday, but this golf course was absolutely felt like it was impossible. It was a, uh, a Lynx golf course with native grass that was literally four feet tall if you missed the fairway. And from the tee shot, or I got from the tee box, it felt like every single tee shot was blind. Uh, and it was super windy, and I've never played the course before either. So uh, made, made for a pretty interesting day. But anyways, I roped okay, um, had a good shot at winning some good money. So in team roping, similar to golf, they give you basically a handicap for your ability so that each roping level that you enter is fair. So a lower skilled roper they're usually ranked as a number three. A really good roper is a number seven or eight. So the scale goes from a, a number three at the lowest and a 10 at the highest. Uh, I'm not really sure why it doesn't start at one. That's just how, the, how it works for this. But So all the guys that do this professionally for a living are nines and 10 number ropers, but a seven or an eight roper is thinking about golf, probably someone that's like a scratch golfer or better if I was trying to compare the two. So how it works in team roping is that they have different numbered ropings. Now the lowest number roping is an eight and the highest number is a 15 or an open. So in a number eight roping, two number four ropers can rope together, right? Two fours is an eight. Where in a 15 roping, you can have one person that's a seven and one person that's an eight rope together. So obviously these higher number ropings are a lot tougher because you have better people roping in them. Hopefully that, that makes a little bit of sense. But uh, if you're confused already, promise this is going to get back to my message for today. But anyways, how you make money in the most team roping events is you usually have to catch four steers in a row. So if you go out and you catch your first one, then you miss your second, you're out. If you catch two in a row and miss your third, you're out. So you could drive, for instance, all the way from Auburn down to Vegas. Usually takes us like nine hours to get there with a horse trailer. And you could have one partner miss your first year and that's it. You're done. Time to drive back home. So it can be a little bit stressful sometimes. But what happens is for every team that catches three in a row, they bring back the top 20 out of those teams that caught three. So sometimes not even 20 teams catch three in a row, depending on the level number roping you're in. But last weekend, I was entered in the number 10 roping. And after catching three steers in a row, my partner and I were sitting in second place going into the fourth steer. So when it came down to our turn to go, all we had to do was be a nine-second run on our last year to win the whole roping, meaning we'd win a little over $7,000. So a nine-second run, to put it in perspective again, just thinking about golf, um, 
It would be like having a one-stroke lead going into 18, and all you have to do is par the 430-yard par uh, straight par four. So as my partner and I backed into the box, you know, they got the music playing, everyone's there watching. It's a, it's a lot of energy up there. And uh, my partner called for the steer, so they opened the gate, they let the steer out. He roped him good around the horns and turned the steer left. So now it was my turn to go get him caught. He roped him easily fast enough to beat a nine-second run, and I knew that once I saw the head, loop, the head loop go on there. But I came around the corner a little bit late, ended up roping an outside leg. So since I roped one back leg instead of both, we got a five-second penalty. Uh, I looked over at the announcer, and I heard her say, you guys are just a little too long. You're out of the money. So we didn't win anything. I was super bummed. You can imagine. You know, you work that hard and spend that long and you get to the last run of the day and one leg keeps you from winning $7,000. So I was a little bit frustrated, as you can imagine. Not going to lie, I had to go sit in the shade and drink some water and chill out for a few minutes. But that's how it goes. You don't get to win every time, but uh, you can dang sure, you know, I'm not going to be late on the corner next time I get that chance. But really what got me thinking about this throughout this whole process was what do most people do after they win a $7,000 check in one single day of roping? If I were to tell you guys that this weekend I will give you $7,000 for just sitting on your horse for four hours, obviously every single person listening would be all about it. But what would you personally do with this extra cash? There has to be some things on your wish list that you always say, if I had a few extra bucks, I would buy that in a heartbeat. The craziest part about this is that it's not grown men and women that are winning this kind of money all the time. There are literally young kids bringing home paychecks like this. There's this kid. He, uh, we roped with him in Tucson a lot. I believe he's 11 years old now, 11 or 12, I can't remember. But his name is Michael Camelot. I'm literally not kidding. After you're done listening to the show, go on uh, Google or YouTube and search Little Michael Camelot Team Roping. This little dude looks like he can barely sit on the horse. He's so small. You would literally think there's no way he could, he could even swing the rope. But he goes out, he kicks everyone's butt. I, I think this kid won his first full living quarters trailer when he was 10 years old. And I'm not talking about one of those you know little pods that get pulled behind a VW bug. I'm talking a literal full-blown three-horse gooseneck living quarter trailer. I bet the thing was probably worth like 60 grand or more. So actually kind of funny, my dad didn't let me compete a whole lot in ropings growing up because when you're little and you go win a couple thousand dollars in a day, you think you're just lighting the world on fire. And uh, it's easy to just think that you can do that every day, but really there are very few in the world who can actually learn a, earn a living just team roping. But anyways, to get back to my point, do you really think that little Michael goes and wins a $60,000 horse trailer, a bunch of cash, all these prizes he's winning, and as a 10-year-old, he's wanting to go and open up a Roth IRA and start investing for his future. I'm really doubting so. <laughs> I'd imagine he probably wants to go get a new laptop, maybe buy a new saddle, a new iPad, or something more fun and exciting. But realistically, I think that sometimes, as even as we get older, this doesn't really change. You know, maybe not wanting to buy a Game Boy, but I don't know, new lawnmower or a new four-wheeler. Maybe we want to uh, remodel uh, part of the house. I'm not saying at all that it's bad to spend money or that you should only save and never spend, but sometimes I think we forget about the future value of money against the present value of money. The way that we look at it, and I'm not excluding myself, I fall susceptible to this all the time also, but we think that receiving $7,000 today as being so much better than getting $7,000 in 20 or 30 years down the road when we retire, but really that $7,000 in 30 years isn't going to be $7,000 anymore. 
If we assume that we're getting an 8% rate of return, leaving your $7,000 to get invested and never adding any more to it, in 20 years, you're going to have $32,000. So I know that's not like a super sexy number, but then just imagine adding $1,000 a year to that initial $7,000 that you invested. So I already did the math on this. If you contribute $1,000 extra a year and keeping that 8% annual return, now all of a sudden after 20 years, we're looking at having almost 80 grand. So again, I'm not at all saying that every single dollar earned should just be saved and invested. Obviously, we want to have cash on hand and emergency reserves and money to use for fun things also. But this really just shows that you don't need an awful lot to get started. You just have to get started. The only way this money can start working in your favor is to push this snowball of compound interest off the peak of the mountain. And your initial push is not that easy to do. It takes discipline to put money aside for your future. Um, it's so much easier, like I said, to just go and want to spend something, spend it on something fun right now. But once you get started and you push this snowball off the peak, it's going to keep rolling and gaining momentum and more snow is going to stick onto it. And all of a sudden, your tiny snowball has grown into a massive snowball boulder. Uh, <laughs> don't think I've ever heard of a snowball boulder before, but you get the picture. A lot bigger than a snowball. I have people ask me all the time, Hunter, what do I need to do to get started? And for most people, you know, a younger person asks me that question. I usually recommend let's start by getting you to max out a Roth IRA. So you can currently put away $6,000 a year into this account with after-tax dollars. And when we pull the money out sometime after you turn 59 and a half, then everything that is accumulated within there comes out tax-free. In my eyes, I think it's one of the best things that you can take advantage of. So I advise for people to build this account as much as possible before they're making too much money that you can't fund it anymore. But what about for people who are already investing and, you know, they're thinking, what's an extra couple thousand really going to do to my account? I mean, I get that. If you already have a large portfolio built up, a few thousand dollars increase in your account size is not really going to drastically change the returns that you're currently getting. But what I really try to do is to get people to look longer term than that and understand the benefits of adding to this consistently, not just with one-time lump sums. Imagine if every time you won a roping or made a little bit of extra money that you weren't expecting, you just put a small portion of that aside and into the market. Your account over time would grow substantially and your returns would also increase along with it. So I want you to just keep in mind the future value of money versus the present value. Because if you aren't putting anything at all aside to work for your goal of retiring, then hopefully you have a job that you can do until you pass away because it's going to be very hard to ever really stop working. And again, this isn't something that should scare you or make you feel anxious, but hopefully just gets you to understand the importance of planning properly for your specific goals you have in place. So if you have any questions about your current portfolio or want to just have some help with getting things started for you, send me over an email. I'll gladly reach out to you and we can enhance your current situation or start building your portfolio together. You can reach me at hlowry at sierraridgewealth.com. That's H-L-O-W-R-Y at sierraridgewealth.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great rest of your day.